Welcome to Socalo Radio, the on-air home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. I'm Claudia Vasquez. Tonight, LA Weekly's Pulitzer Prize-winning restaurant critic, Jonathan Gold, brings to the table some of the best and most innovative chefs in Los Angeles, Gilberto Cetina of the splendid Yucatecan restaurant Chichen Itza, Martín del Campo and Ramiro Arvizu of the groundbreaking Senaduría La Casita Mexicana, and Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feneker of Santa Monica's award-winning Border Grill for a discussion on state-of-the-art Mexican cooking in Los Angeles. The panel of chefs talk about the never-ending search for original spices, cheeses, and vegetables for California restaurants, and the quest to make regional dishes just like their mothers and grandmothers in Mexico did. We also hear about innovative cuisine featuring combinations from many states of Mexico. Recorded at the Los Angeles Central Library as part of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, here is tonight's moderator, food critic Jonathan Gold. Just a few years ago, when I was still at the Los Angeles Times, we were working on a package for the food section on Mexican restaurants. We were looking around at hundreds and hundreds of Mexican restaurants in town. And the thing that struck all of us at the time was that they all had exactly the same menu. (laughs) This was a funny thing because Los Angeles was then, as it is now, the second largest city in Mexico. (laughs) There were people from probably every region of Mexico. There are people from probably every region of Mexico, you know, living here in Los Angeles, living in Los Angeles County, and enjoying at home probably what they enjoyed, you know, back in the mother country. But it wasn't making its way to restaurants. Instead, we were seeing the endless procession of number two dinners, of carne asada plates, of enchiladas rancheras, whatever those are, of uh, Mexican pizzas with canned peas on them, (laughs) of of tostadas in uh, flour tortilla bowls that came up six inches on every side, burritos whose only ingredient was meat or beans, tacos that came one way fried, and maybe if you were lucky, the token carnitas plate or carne asado or tampacana platter. But really, it was sort of barren. I remember writing at the time that I wrote something that Mexican restaurants should have to include at least two dishes from the proprietor's native state or be denied a liquor license. (laughs) (laughs) This didn't go over so well at the time. (laughs) But in the years since then, Los Angeles has become, if not a wonderland, at least a, a very wonderful place to eat Mexican food. You can drive in some places for 20, 30 miles in any direction and never be more than a few blocks from a taqueria, and a pretty good taqueria at that. We have food from almost every state in Mexico, though I'm still waiting for the Chiapas restaurant to show up. (laughs) (laughs) And of sub-regions, there are restaurants devoted to actually 
maybe one restaurant devoted to uh, the f Mexican uh, oak cuisine, the fine cooking of Mexico. And there are other restaurants that are adapting Mexican flavors and Mexican formulas to California taste and the excellence of the California grill kitchen with you know sometimes superb results. You can go to places like the Alameda Swap Meet on uh, 45th and Alameda near Vernon, and there are stands from probably 15 different parts of Mexico there making different kinds of food, different dishes. You can go around, you can taste things that were never imaginable even just 15 years ago. I think that we are, especially thanks to the people on this panel today, about to break into a new era of Mexican cooking in Los Angeles, one where Mexican cooking is acknowledged to be the lingua franca of the cooking in L.A. It's not French cooking. It's not Italian cooking. This is not part of Tuscany. We, we were, <laughs> you know, with the, uh, the Bourbon Kings never, as far as I know, set up shop here. We were part of Mexico. It's where, it's where our people are. It's where our heritage is. It's where our food is. On the panel today, we have uh, Mary Sue Millican and Susan Feniger from the Border Grill, a superb Mexican restaurant in Santa Monica. Thank you. We have Hiberto Satina from Chichen Itza, which is a wonderful restaurant both in the La Paloma complex down near USC and on 6th Street near MacArthur Park. And from uh, La Casita Mexicana, a wonderful, wonderful restaurant in Bell, uh, south of downtown. We have Jaime Martin Del Campo <laughs> and Ramiro Arvisu. If you haven't been to their restaurant, you really need to get into your car and drive to Bell because they're interpreting... Mexican fine cooking in a way that has never been seen in Los Angeles before and should be seen more. His restaurant, Chichen Itza, the, the first thing I have to say about that is the first time I went to his restaurant, the La Paloma Complex, I went home and I, I booked a uh, plane ticket to Merida for my family. <laughs> <laughs> because if there was food that good to be found from the Yucatan, then I had to eat as much of it as I possibly could. <laughs> I'll ask you the question first. Sure. Coming to Los Angeles, I know you, you both come from airline backgrounds instead of food backgrounds. What was it that made you think that there was a future for not just Mexican cuisine in Los Angeles, but fine Mexican cuisine? I remember the first time when I came here and people invited me to have a Mexican food. You're going to go out and tell me, yeah, why not? So we went out and we asked for the burrito. And when they showed me the burrito with each sour cream, Jello cheese, and Tonsis will say, what is that? He said, Mexican food. He said, excuse me, no. That's when I decided, Ramiro, we got to go and start our own business. Jaime, <laughs> Jaime and I missed the food from our mothers and grandmothers so much mm -hmm. that I told them, Jaime, just like us, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people that are missing the same thing that we are. So why don't we do something about it? And that's... What we started doing, we wanted to change the perception that people have of uh, Mexican food abroad, especially here in the United States. And that's what we're doing. We're rescuing recipes from people from different regions in Mexico. 
That's what we're. That's doing. what actually how it started. We started like the most successful concept with the passion. We just follow our hearts, and we have bumps here and there, but uh, we are here after nine years. Thanks. When you two started Border Grill, you weren't actually that well known for Mexican food. You were running the City Cafe, which had an enormous following. And suddenly the City Cafe space was gone and instead was Border Grill and the most delicious tongue stew I've ever eaten in my life. You were probably the only one that ate it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did. I ate some too. (laughs) What made you think of uh, going from your sort of eclectic trans-global menu to concentrate on Mexican food? It was a a decision for us because this was in 1981 that we had opened City Cafe, and it was a decision, should we open a noodle shop or a taco stand? (laughs) And that was, uh, I think, what most inspired us was that we would go down to Anelsi's, which was a taco place at Western on Melrose. It was the first soft tacos I think we'd ever eaten. And we used to go down there every day in the afternoon, get like 25 of these little soft tacos and bring them back and eat them in the afternoon for the afternoon meal. And that was what first inspired us to and, well, we're very cheap, so we thought if we just make our own, <laughs> we don't have to drive all the way to Western every day. Well, we were opening city restaurants, so we had to think of a concept for the little place. And we really love Mexican food, and that was how it started. But we actually went to Mexico and drove around in a VW Bug for a month or three and a half weeks and uh, studied everything. We just absorbed everything we could from Mexico City to Puebla and uh, to Merida, which – and. Veracruz. We didn't make it to Oaxaca that first trip. Merida was definitely one of our favorite places. We'd never tasted a a fish taco on a soft tortilla. This is in 1983 or 4. But I also think that we were women in the kitchen, in French kitchens, and um, no matter how much experience you had back then, you worked with a lot of the prep guys, and a lot of the prep guys were Hispanic, and they would make these incredible staff meals. Literally, in like 10 minutes, you'd eat some of the most unbelievable food that you could never get out on the street. And so I think that was really an inspiring thing for us about thinking about doing the Latin kitchen because you couldn't get this food except from the prep guys. And that inspired us, I think, to think about, let's do that. Let's do that. And you started out as a caterer, right? You you had another job and you were doing parties. We started uh, doing a catering business in Orange County. And how did you decide that you needed to do a full restaurant? One day, I I've been watching TV on, uh, on TV Spanish, mm-hmm. and somebody from the uh, La Paloma complex invited to the community to be part of the project of La Paloma complex. Next day, I was here at the, Mer- the Mercado La Paloma with Esperanza Community Offices, mm-hmm. bring my, uh, my plan, my everything, and they, they got me. Did your recipes change at all from when you were catering to when you opened the restaurant? We have two, uh, two different menus. We have our catering menus a little bit different from the uh, restaurant mm-hmm. menu. You know, it's a very sometimes some dishes are very hard to to do out of the kitchen and the catering uh, facilities. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why 
we have uh, two different catering, uh, but we have some items on the in the restaurant and catering. You're listening to LA Weekly's restaurant critic, Jonathan Gold, with Gilberto Cetina of the restaurant Chichen Itza, Martin Del Campo and Ramiro Arbizu of the Senaduria, La Casita Mexicana, and Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger of Border Grill. This is Socalo Radio, the on-air home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. For more information or to hear past programs and lectures, just click on our website, socalola.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A dot O-R-G. We'll return in a moment. Stay tuned to Socalo Radio. Programming on 89.3 KPCC is supported by Sony Pictures Classics presenting The Band's Visit, a film by Iran Kalaran about an Egyptian police band stranded in Israel. The Band's Visit, limited engagement, now playing. Next time on Day to Day. Good luck hearing the band State Radio on most music stations. Their politically charged lyrics draw a lot of static. We had our tire slashed in Kentucky, people giving us the finger, but for the most part, people are in for it. How one popular band spreads its music and its message. Next time on Day to Day. Weekday mornings at 9 on 89.3 KPCC. Weekdays on 89.3 KPCC. This is Talk of the Nation. I'm Neil Cohn. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. Remember the good old days? This is Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle. Bank of America has announced that... Good afternoon. I'm Pat Morrison. It's something of an article of faith in business in Southern California that the cost of doing... More NPR and local news on 89.3 KPCC. I'm Marco Werman. American homeowners cringe as real estate values drop, and they're not alone. A decade-long building boom in Spain resulted in too many homes. Now construction and real estate companies are laying off workers. People who borrowed on their homes are now facing foreclosure. The housing bubble bursts in Europe. Our story from Spain, next time on The World. Weekdays at noon on 89.3 KPCC. Programming on 89.3 KPCC is supported by the California Endowment, working to improve the health and health care of California's diverse communities. At the California Endowment, community matters. I'm Claudia Vasquez. This is Socalo Radio, the on-air home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. We now return to LA Weekly's restaurant critic, Jonathan Gold, with Gilberto Cetina of the restaurant Chichen Itza, Martin Del Campo and Ramiro Arbizu of the Senaduria La Casita Mexicana, and Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger of Border Grill. I think in a way you represent one of the most important futures of Mexican cooking in Los Angeles because you're probably the only person at the sink who's never been called a Mexican chef. You're always called a Yucatan chef. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when somebody asks a Yucatecan person, yeah. where are you from? We say, from Yucatan. <laughs> <laughs> then, Mexico. Yeah. One of your articles, you wrote an article about the different cuisines in L.A., mm-hmm. and you wrote Mexican food, uh, Thai food, uh, blah, 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 and then Yucatecan food. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. It is. That's, yeah. that's why. <laughs> <laughs> are your recipes recipes you grew up eating? Are, are they this, is it the same food that your mother grew up cooking? Yeah, I learned my cooking with my grandma and my, uh, my mom. We carry only classic recipes from the Yucatecan cuisine. Mm-hmm. We don't do innovations. We don't change the recipes. We try to cook in the same way. Same ingredients, try to, to do uh, classic recipes. We don't try to change anything. Yeah, I, I, I know when I've been in the Yucatan, and sometimes I look for things that I've tasted at your restaurant, and so like I'll, I'll ask for, you know, venado, because you make such a delicious venado, a, a, venis- a venison venado. And they're saying, do you know about that? Because venison hunting is illegal there, and it's, ve- and it's very rare to be able to have delicious venado. And they're sort of envious that we can have such a thing in Los Angeles. Yeah, some Yucatecos, when uh, people from Yucatan, yeah. when get into the restaurant and so uh, we have a venison, uh, they say, hey, where you get a venison? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, because there is no more venison in Yucatan. But here we can, be, we can get venison from, I think, 5,000 different suppliers. Oh, fantastic. Are you finding the availability of you, – you two shop a lot at the farmer's market, and you two know a lot about what's obviously the, the very high-end suppliers. And one of the th- things that makes your restaurant different is you cook a lot of the classic dishes but using extremely high-end ingredients. Do you, do you search them out in a different way because you're cooking Mexican food than you would if you were cooking French food as you were brought up cooking? Actually, I don't think we. I mean, I think a great ingredient is is really universal for any mm-hmm. cuisine, pretty much making it great. But I think there's things in Mexican in the Mexican kitchen that were so hard to find, especially in the beginning when we first when we first came back, we smuggled in some chipotle chilies and, <laughs> and mm-hmm. brought them downtown to our produce man and said, "Help us find these somewhere." And that was in 1984. But now, like just recently, we did an event with Wheat La Coche that we can get from Florida that's really nice and consistent, and it's not, it's delicious, actually. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, for years we could only get it frozen, get, really get canned. it canned. Which is and not so, so to get fresh Wheat La Coche now is just incredible, unbelievable. Way back then, there was, you know, it was impossible to get achiote, to get tamarind, to get. Anato seeds to get any of the dried chilies. I mean, 24 years ago, you just could not find that in this market. So, well, we, we did find them, but they were just really in, not in any of the places we were normally buying food from. So, spices, especially, we started buying from a more Latin Mexican spice company. And, and we got so, we've gotten interesting things, and it's gotten so much better now. That's what I tell Ramiro. There is no excuse now not to make a good and fresh. Mexican cuisine because you have the highest ingredients here in Los Angeles. We're so close. The only things that I find hard to find here is the Mexican cheeses. 
They are good here. But they're not the same Jesus that like you get in Mexico. I don't know what happened to that. And they still insist to get that kind of Jesus. For Amiro and I, it's uh, about the kind of food we just make. We had to grow our own no vegetables, some herbs, oregano de Veracruz, thanks to my friends here. Oja Santa or Acuyo, they cost me like $2 each leave. Let's say, Ramiro, the food cost is going to be so hot. So we should go. To create a chiles en hogada, cactus, which is called like candy cactus, which is like $2 a piece, called bisnaga, to create chiles en hogada. We still had to sneak that because there's not available here. But most of the ingredients you find here are highest, highest quality. So I don't see any problems with that, Ramiro. No, 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 and it's very easy to find them now because there's a couple of uh, community gardens that I know that I know of that grow those incredible herbs, Mexican herbs, that add that special touch to your dishes. And I asked one of the people there if the flavors of the herbs or the ingredients or the things that they grow there change in flavor because of the soil. He go- and he told me that no. Except for the chiles, they tend to be hotter here for some reason. But you can always find anything that you want at those markets. And there's a couple of them. The one, well, they closed down the one on Alameda. And they, there is another one that they opened on Imperial and 53rd Street, I think. And you will you find amazing things there. Gucci, Pelin, Papalo, Papasote, <laughs> you name it. So you find everything there. And especially if you're going to cook Mexican uh, gastronomy. I mean, because like he was saying, from Yucatan, and he's very proud because he's from Yucatan. I'm very proud because I'm from Jalisco. I think uh, <laughs> Mexican... And I'm very proud because I'm Mexican. Mexican, <laughs> Mexican gastronomy should be called the Mexican gastronomies because each state has its own gastronomies, its own ingredients, and its own techniques. So we are so rich in gastronomy. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. It's really exciting when you go to the store and you see something like uh, papalo or wasantle that you you hadn't seen before, right. and you're able to cook with it. Or quelites uh, they started having at the farmers market. Yes. Verdolagas. Yeah. Coconuts, pasote, calabaza, chayotes. On and on and on and on and on. So it's it, we we have a very very rich and grandiose food in Mexico throughout the whole Mexican Republic. How do you find yourself inspiring yourself to change your menus? How do you find what, – what sort of Mexican food has been inspiring you lately? One of the best things, I think, for us, and it's always been, is when we can take the opportunity to travel. And travel – just this last year, we took about, I don't know, six of our team. We took them to Guadalajara and then outside of Guadalajara, and we just ate – Pretty much just eating in tiny little places or at stands or on the street, and that's what we did and just tasted. And you can see what a huge effect it has for the chefs as well as us to be inspiring. We did one quick trip, one day trip down to the wine country. To Baja. Yeah, to, mm-hmm. and, and we had those little tostadas on the street with 
the fish was chopped up really fine. The shrimp was chopped up like real, like minced. And it was just, you know, really yummy. And so we took that version of it and then made it sort of our version of that. And that all of a sudden went onto the menu. It's one of the biggest selling dishes at Border Grill Las Vegas. It's just a huge selling. It's that. So we serve the ceviche, that mm-hmm. style. And it's just a huge selling dish and very different than any ceviche we'd ever served. And we'd never seen it in all the trips we'd been on. So, And, and I think the other inspiration is often the people who work for us because we have so many great employees who we always ask them to step up to the plate and maybe make staff meal. And if we like it, then that kind of make, maybe gets refined and turn, ends up on the menu. And that's a huge resource for us in, in L.A. We have so many people that come to work, even even as you know dishwashers and, and whatever they are, but they, they contribute ideas to the menu. Great. Do you go back to the Yucatan and eat and look for new things? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I go very often. Last time I was there was in August. Mm-hmm. I was uh, four days, and I ate in twenty different places. Wow! <laughs> four days. That's my kind of <laughs> I do exactly, exactly like you do. <laughs> On the back is Kathy Diaz. She went with me to Merida uh, two years ago for our, my daughter's wedding. Mm-hmm. And at that time, she ate like I did. Mm-hmm. Five, six, seven times a day, different <laughs> places uh, uh, every day. Yeah, of course. I have uh, something. I, I don't know if everybody's uh, in this way, but I, I remember the, the flavors. Mm-hmm. The flavors I, I learned, I, I have with my my home with my mom with my grandma when i do a dish i can say oh this tastes like my mom way or or no mm-hmm. i don't like it or i like it most of my dishes is the way that is the way most of my dishes uh, cook i cook a lot of people don't realize i think just how cosmopolitan especially the cooking of the yucatan is you have the you know, it's always very close to Europe, and you had all that, you know, you have those big balls of uh, Gouda cheese everywhere. And you have all the Lebanese and all the Arab things, like you make the kibbeh, and you have direct things in marinades from Spain that you don't see in, in the rest of Mexico. Right. Actually, our, our, our current Yucatecan food is uh, food uh, mestiza, comida mestiza, with a... Uh, Mayan roots, and we have at least four big influences from, first, of course, Spain. Mm-hmm. Then we have French, Dutch, and, and Lebanese. Last year's 1940-1930, we got a little bit of Korean influence, but not a lot. But actually... We have a lot of dishes from Lebanon, uh, Lebanon uh, roots from Lebanon, or French, or, or, or Dutch, like the queso relleno we made with a baby Eden cheese. Well, that's a really interesting dish. And it's the only place you can get in California, I'm sure. I think in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I say something about the ingredients? Please. Like they say... Uh, 15, 20 years ago, it was very hard to find a lot of ingredients from our cuisine. I have an experience today. Since we opened the restaurant, we've been asking our people 
who we know grows up the Seville orange, naranja agria, Lima agria for the sopa de Lima at home. We start buying from them those ingredients. And yesterday, yesterday I have a, a experience. A guy came to the restaurant with 2,000 limes, and a few minutes later, another guy came with 500 limes. You should send them oh. over to our place. <laughs> All right. I, I have. I have a lot right now. Well, we need some. Yeah, usually we have Seville orange and, and Lima agria. Sometimes we have chaya too. Not always, but we have most of the time. That's interesting because when we came back in 1984 and we had these incredible fish tacos and we had them the first time we had them, it was in Merida in a tiny little place. Mary Sue and I were standing outside of this little window and we stood there with notebooks, like copying down every single thing this guy was doing. He had these little tortillas in his hand and like taking lobster and salmon and then, you know, putting this sort of cucumber slaw on it and olive oil and peas. And it was like, And then God. a little naranja agria at the yeah. end. And, and we then were, finally he came out and he said, he in Spanish, kind of like, he brought two little beers and he said, come on in. <laughs> After an hour of like trying to figure out what is he doing, he brought out those two plates and we, stood, we stayed there for like the next two hours eating. Then he invited us back to eat the next day and he made us a couple different dishes to taste. But when we came back, we could not get naranja agria for years. And so we, we still took, can't get it fresh not, regularly. We can't get it regularly. And Maybe I can help you. Yeah, I would, would like nice. that. I would we, love that. We started taking orange juice, grapefruit, and lime juice and mixing that to try to simulate that because it's such an incredible difference from just orange juice. You know, Jaime and I, what we do is when we drive around our city and we spot a tree, if we write down them. the address and then Jaime... We let you know where it's one. There's some people that grow them in their yards. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's the main street tree in uh, Sacramento. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> in Spain, too. <laughs> no, but nowadays, uh, like you said, that you went to Mexico in the 80s and went there and you were writing those things. Now the Mexican government is inviting chefs to go to Mexico. We go like twice a year, and we go there and we cook with the indigenous women of different states. And it's a beautiful learning process. Uh, he's lying to you. He doesn't go twice a year. He goes <laughs> nine times a year. Let me tell you. As a, as a guest. I'm the one who works right there. <laughs> no, I go as a guest, but in our own, we go many times. We visit our state, and when we have, when we have a chance, we go to other states. And usually take people down there so you can cook with indigenous women in Michoacán. We recently worked on Monterrey, Mexico, on the Universal Forum, where 52 countries, thanks to my friends over in Environments, and it was such a great experience. And you get to know a lot of people there. To get, Mexican government now is very, I would say, willing to help people who are interested in learning. cooking real and authentic food. And they just want to help. We have a great support for the Mexican consulate, for UNESCO, Cuenaculta. A lot of people help us. Out. Because uh, we want to change that idea that people have about Mexican food that is very greasy, hot, and unhealthy when really it's a very tasteful, very, very good food, very healthy, and it's just a very artistic. And we had to remind, well. so we never fried our food until actually the Spanish came to Mexico. <laughs> Before we had, we don't have no pork, Different we things. had nothing there. So it was really good to have a lot of pre-Hispanic or pre-Columbian food. We have great spread because actually just... We got from Spain a lot of spices things. Thanks to God, we cook chiles en hogada, all moles get richer. But also we had to 
recognize Mexican cuisine, like has, I would see the Mexican cuisine change the whole concept on the whole world. We are the land of chocolate or chocolate. Just give the word the tomatoes, corn, chiles. You it can was, imagine all this. It was an interesting thing when we, we had opened City Cafe in 1981, and then we opened the first Border Grill in 1985. And when we changed over, it was unbelievable. Our produce bill just doubled. doubled. It was yeah. huge. It really and did. I, I was shocked because I remember looking at the bill and thinking, how could we have bought that much, that many vegetables <laughs> and, it, and, it, it was, and it was such an interesting thing because people's impression was that it was cheese and heavy and that. And, and here it was very interesting how much more produce we were buying than we had been before. You're listening to LA Weekly's restaurant critic, Jonathan Gold, with Gilberto Cetina of the restaurant Chichen Itza, Martin del Campo and Ramiro Arbizu of the Senaduria, La Casita Mexicana, and Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger of Border Grill. This is Socalo Radio, the on-air home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. I'm Claudia Vasquez. For information or to listen to past broadcasts, just click on our website, socalola.org. That's Z. O-C-A-L-O-L-A.org. In a moment, our panel takes questions from the Socalo audience. Stay tuned to Socalo Radio. Programming on 89.3 KPCC is supported by the Wilshire Theater Beverly Hills, presenting a limited engagement of Forever Tango. Four performances only February 29th through March 2nd. Tickets available now at Ticketmaster Outlets. Costa Rica is one of the rainiest places on the planet, and it uses all that water to make electricity. So what happens if the rain stops falling? This is something that people must understand, that any small deviation from what we consider normal, it is going to be very, very difficult to adjust. I'm Renee Montaigne, generating power in the midst of climate change, tomorrow on Morning Edition from NPR News. Weekday mornings on 89.3 KPCC. Many Americans have developed a phobia about food. They're either concerned about getting fat or getting sick from what they eat. But Michael Pollan is an author devoted to encouraging Americans to eat and to enjoy the experience. Michael Pollan's author of the book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, and now his new book, In Defense of Food, An Eater's Manifesto. He joins us for the next edition of Air Talk, Monday at 10, here on 89.3. KPCC brings you in-depth news without commercials. You make that possible when taking the step from KPCC listener to KPCC contributing member. Take that step today at kpcc.org. And thanks. Every day on All Things Considered, we bring you novel ideas and remarkable stories. This is really a new development. Oh, my God, I will never forget that. You can't teach that kind of stuff. You just have it. We can shock them a little, too. Something new, something unexpected, maybe even unforgettable on All Things Considered from NPR News. Weekday afternoon starting at 3.30 on 89.3 KPCC. I'm Claudia Vasquez. This is Socalo Radio, the on-air home of the Socalo Public Square Lecture Series, LA's free, eclectic, and roving cultural forum. 
Now it's time for questions from the Socalo audience for Gilberto Cetina of the restaurant Chichen Itza, Martin del Campo and Ramiro Arvisu of the Senaduría La Casita Mexicana, and Mary Sue Milligan and Susan Fettiger of Border Grill. My name is Judy Harper, and I've had the pleasure of traveling around throughout most of Mexico in many rural areas and have tasted a lot of the cuisines you're talking about, so I'm getting really hungry and glad to know where I can finally get chilis en nogada. My question is, who among you might have the influence to go down to Tijuana, which Tijuana, they always talk a lot of trash about Tijuana, but there's some new and interesting cuisines coming out of there, with a guy named Don Javier that runs a place called Tacos Ermita. And Don Javier makes about 10 different kinds of salsas with all different kinds of nuts and chilies that I have never seen anywhere in Mexico. And with ingredients from shark to, to salmon con camarón, I mean, all different kinds of stuff. And so I was wondering who among you might volunteer to go to Tijuana and talk with Don Javier, because <laughs> we've been trying to convince him to come and set up shop on this side of the border, at least talk about buying his recipes. Okay, like let me tell you this. I've been in that place. I really love it. So I was right there. <laughs> and he doesn't have 10 sauces. He has like 40 sauces right there. Oh. But you need to make an appointment actually to go in. I don't know if you've been there. They open from 5 o'clock, even from 5 to 9. And there's a line before the people just get there. It's wow. awesome. And his name is Javier. It's a great, great, I would say, I call him Master Chef because he knows great he developed his own. Oh, great taquero. For me, I've been there and. Especially a lot of people have some misconception on Tijuana and how the food is, but it's a big association of chefs right there, which is, I've been cooking with them once in a while or two. And down Baja, you can find a lot of organic food, a lot of Mediterranean influences too, along with good vinos, Montchanique, all of them. So it's worth to go down to Tijuana. Good evening. My name is Ulysses Diaz, and I'm Yucateco also. I wanted to have, have a question for the chef from Chichen Itza. You said you use all the original recipes, but yet your presentation is different. So I was wondering if you could address the idea of how you present your Yucatecan food. Actually, we're trying to make a better presentation than the traditional uh, Yucatecan food. In the Yucatecan food is not really... They don't care about the presentation. We don't care about the presentation. When you eat the relleno negro, you're going to have a bowl with the meat and the broth of the, of, of the relleno negro. There is nothing fancy. We're just trying to do something a little fancy. That's it. <laughs> hey, my name is Victor Torres. I just have a question for these guys. I've been in your restaurant before many times, and... What I've seen different than another restaurant is that uh, you guys, like chefs and owner of this restaurant, come to my table and talk to me and eat with me, with my family, feels really different than another place, which is not in my case because I send a lot of more people and they really love your restaurant. So, and they had the same, the same experience. Well, What's that is uh, part of being a restaurateur. And in our case... We encounter people that are not familiar, many people that are not familiar with Mexican dishes. So it's a teaching process that we love very much. We love to go to the tables and share that 
with our customers. No, besides that, he loves our story. I mean, besides that, you love to be sitting with people on the tables all the time. <laughs> All the time. And let me tell you that, Ramiro, we have a lot of things to do in the kitchen. Okay, these people is calling me. I thought they need to say. They asked me a recipe. And, I you know, <laughs> I, got, I got that. But I got it from my mother because my, when my mother used to cook, she sit with us and type that. Thanks, mamá. Gracias por enseñarme a cocinar. Hi, good evening. My name is Eduardo Herrera, and I'm from Venezuela. In my personal case... I didn't know the Mexican food since I came, just when I came here to USA. Then I tried the Mexican food for first time. And I received many invitations to try uh, food in Mexican family houses. And every time they said that the food was not spicy, for me it was fire. So I was always <laughs> afraid to try Mexican food since I went to a real restaurant. So I would like to know if in your case that you are keeping the original recipe, did you update the recipes to, to have the non-spicy taste, or how was your case? It is very interesting because there are so many chiles in Mexico. The thing is that you, know, you have to know how to work with them. You have to use special chiles for different things. There is a chile, guajillo, that it gives flavor and color. There is the habanero, which is very spicy if you want to to make a very hot uh, salsa, or there's some jalapeños, which eventually turn into uh, chipotles and serranos. It all depends on what you're cooking. It's the spiciness that you want to give to your food. But you have to play with them and know how to use them. Well, we got another people from South America. Thanks a lot. <laughs> hey, good evening. My name 